that good? All right. I think what he appreciates is just my like, general awkwardness. You know? <laughs> See? I never think I'm doing anything weird. People are like, oh, that's so strange. They laugh. Like, I get it. Okay. Got some notes again. Um, and so we've got some slides, too. I've only rewritten the sermon three times since I sent in the slides, so I think it'll be fine. Look <laughs> at that. It has a stand. It's, this is fancy. I like this stuff. Okay. Let's begin um, with prayer, because we all need it. All right, Lord Jesus, you know, I've been praying for for weeks now, in preparation for this, I surrender. Anything that I have that I think I know, I think needs to be said, you know better. Let your words speak. Let anything that is unhelpful or nonsense that comes out of my mouth just fall on deaf ears. I, Lord, I pray that your message and your truth and your presence will be known today. Yes, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so yeah, first week of Advent, that was a nice intro. You only stole a little bit of the thunder. Um, I've titled this one, The Weight of Waiting, as in W-E-I-G-H-T. Looks better than that sounds. The Weight of Waiting. All right, so the intro question. Who, besides Jesus, is the greatest person to have ever lived? It's rhetorical, you don't actually have to answer it, but think about it, right? So another, another question to get this going is, who among the prophets was the greatest? And who was the greatest prophet in the Bible? Like that one, I want to hear some thoughts, what do you think? Is it Isaiah, right? Yeah, anyone? Daniel, that's a good one, right? All right, don't worry, I'm still not going to answer these, I'm just going to leave them hanging for a bit. So like Ernie said, Advent means an arrival, right? But, but we are talking about the waiting, like we're anticipating an arrival. This is like the countdown. So we're building this nice anticipation. Essentially, we're thinking about this as a countdown to Christmas. So we know that good news is coming, and we have a lot of pleasant feelings uh, connected with that. You said, you know, we picture baby Jesus, oh, so sweet, probably so cute, you know. We picture the idyllic setting of a nativity in a, in a cozy manger. It doesn't seem, yeah, a cozy manger, and you know, it's like a beautiful, clean stable with quiet animals that are just there worshiping. Like, you know, we, that's the picture, right? Um, and of course, we also connect this with all of our positive memories of childhood. Uh, we, we have a lot of good memories of Christmas. So we've got associations with sounds and sights and smells and feelings. It's all warm nostalgia and comfort. All of this is nice. I'm not criticizing any of that. I will say there's more to think about with Advent than all of that. At our, associ our associations have... Um, of us waiting in a pleasant, like we know what's coming. It's just full of happy and, and waiting. But I want us to consider what the waiting would have been like for those who long ago were known as God's people. Right? There was a lot of waiting and anticipation. So now I'm going to give you a thorough survey of the entire Old Testament. No, I'm just kidding. I put note, quick survey of the OT. 
Okay, so the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, and that's it. So where should we begin? Creation and the fall, right? God made man and his image, right? ready for relationship. Next thing that happened, they were deceived into what? Thinking that they could be like God. Okay, now there's separation. Thus begins the cycle that continues over and over and over and over again, even now. God is faithful. He made a promise to Eve, your descendant will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will strike his heel. Right, right there, at the fall, already talking about what's coming. Right, should we continue with covenants? The Abrahamic covenant, Abraham called out of a not God-fearing nation. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to make you the leader of a great nation. You will have a multitude, and through you, all nations will be blessed. More coming, right? Got the Mosaic covenant. Oh, they fell away again. I'm going to bring you out. You are going to be lifted up and follow you. Follow them back to me. And the Davidic covenant. I will pick the least among you <clears throat> and make you a great king. And out of the Davidic covenant, we know that their prophecies are saying, from the, from the root of Jesse, from the branch of David, there will be a savior. There will be a Messiah. So we've been waiting from the beginning for this savior to come. It's like, okay, the cycle has started. We can see this again and again, right? How many times have we seen through the Old Testament people falling away into exile? What about the cycle of judges? Like the whole book of judges, right? Like, hey, I'm going to bring you back. <clears throat> You're going to fall away again. You're going to feel some condemnation. We'll bring you back to redemption, and it starts over again. Just keeps going. Right? This is what happens. Prophets forever were saying, you need to turn back to the Lord or you will pay. The divided kingdom, right? The people of Israel, one strong nation that's supposed to be distinct. They're starting intermarrying, falling into other ideas of how to worship or what life should be like, adopting cultures and traditions. Before you know it, split. Ten are gone, two are left, right? Absorbed, conquered. Remember Daniel? I, I preached about that once. Right? All of these kingdoms? Yeah, we're going to go through all of those. Oh, look, Persia, now you're back. You're back to Israel, and God is, what? Still faithful. All right, come back. I freed you just like I said I would. Time to rebuild. Even in the rebuilding, like, eh, we don't really get this anymore. We're not really into this. Haggai, am I right, community group? Huh? All right, don't worry. More, I, I've got Haggai. It's always there, right? All right, so we've got this, this cycle, right? People with God, apart from God, condemned, redeemed, back. This keeps going. And the prophets the whole time are saying, this is what's coming, this is what's coming, all the good and the bad, right? Like, hey, if you don't straighten up, you're going to pay. And then when they're in there, like they're in the exile, the prophets are saying, take heart. Your God is faithful. He will bring you back. Right, so the whole time, it's just narrated by the prophets. And then the very end of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, put in all these bookmarks, because I have so much scripture, and I'm going to lose them all anyhow. Zechariah, these thin pages. All right, Malachi 4, the very end of the Old Testament. Like the next one is just, you know, the page between... Um, 
Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. You're right, there is nothing playing. (laughs) Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, you're thinking, oh, yes, Old Testament prophecy. I never know what they're talking about. Just no. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Pay attention to that one, right? And he will, he will turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and the fathers to their children, and he will bring some level of redemption. That's the end. Now, 400 years of silence. Not that nothing happened. There's a whole intertestamental period. That's a different conversation, but prophets are now quiet. No more talking. No more of this narration of everything that's happening. 400 years They've been hearing all of this. Your Savior is coming. Your Lord is faithful. Your Lord will redeem you. Your Lord will make you great. Your Lord will be a part of you. And then, quiet. Done. That's the last thing that's said. You feel that weight? Wait, but I thought there was more. I thought something else was coming. Why is this it? Do you think that the people might have lost some hopeful anticipation? I mean, honestly, it seems like they already had, right? Falling into tradition and cultures. Cultures develop. It's a good and bad thing, right? Did they have these stories of prophecy now passed on to their children, and by each generation, they just become less and less relevant? Like how many of us would feel about a lot of this. What does this have to do with me? So that's a nice story that someone told themselves hundreds of years ago. I want to give a little bit more context. I think it's really difficult for us to understand what it would be like. I mean, I, no, nobody's going to know what it's like to wait 400 years. None of us are quite that old. Right? But even the idea of like being a part of a culture that's been waiting for 400 years. This past Thursday was a day of celebration. Memorial, right? We're, we're having Thanksgiving. We're remembering something. It's tradition at this point. You've all developed your own family traditions, all generally positive, right? Hopefully. But that's, it's tradition remembering something that happened 400 years ago. Well, 403, but, you know, close enough, right? 400 years ago was the first Thanksgiving, right? I think I had a painting. I don't know if it's going to go up there. Right, that one? Yes? Yes, there it is. All right, art history side note. I know everyone's familiar with the American landscape painter Thomas Moran. Yeah? No? Yes, that's the response I expected. This is done by his nephew, Percy Moran. I know, solid stuff, right? Okay, so this is the signing of the Mayflower Compact. English Puritans, from which much of our theology comes. They said, we want to follow the Bible, not only as sanctioned by an earthly, <clears throat> an earthly king. So we're going to a new land. We have a mission in mind. We have hope and anticipation. We're going to build a nation that is, that is free for us to worship. That's a big deal, right? And here we are, last Thursday, doing the same... Oh, wait. We've, we've developed some of our own traditions, right? Do you feel the same 
the same mission, same anticipation and hope as, as these fellows here? No, things, things change over time, right? So you get some relationship of this 400 years of waiting, all the things that can change. Um, side note on Thanksgiving, I'm not discouraging anything about Thanksgiving. I love it. It's great. Great time with family and friends. You know, it's always a good idea to have gratitude be a foundation of our lives. Just, you know, context. You see the difference? Where it started, where we are. All right. So let's look at building up this feeling of the, the waiting, some of the prophecies of, of the Old Testament that were looking towards the coming Messiah, um, that time of waiting. So, Jeremiah 23.5. Almost. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Isaiah 9, 6. I'll get it right here. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's, that's like a whole sermon right there, just those four. Gonna, okay. Sticking in Isaiah, Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Malachi, back to Malachi verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 1, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So those last two, okay, the messenger coming. Now Malachi 4, again, I remember that one. I will, Elijah will come, I will turn the hearts, fathers, the children. All right. Now, Imagine that after that 400 years of changing, you know, forgetting, sometimes maybe recalling a hopeful waiting. You feel that weight now? Yeah? You've heard these words, this is what's coming, and then nothing. In that time, what happened? Oh, so much. At this point, we're talking about the Roman Empire now expanding and and taking over lands that the God's people thought were theirs. Like they, they're an occupied nation at this point. Right? Greek is spoken as the trade language all over. They, what's distinct about these people? Right? They're hidden amongst a massive sea of seemingly much more powerful people. But amidst this cultural quiet, amidst all of this noise, but their people feeling quiet comes this. Matthew 3, verses 1 through 11 In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. 
which we just read, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes the one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's right, I'm talking about John the Baptist for the first week of Advent. There's a lot of stuff in there. Okay, again, could be a, a whole nother sermon. Just a couple notes. Um, he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees with some anger. Now you feel that there's a little bit of heat turns up there. He knows what they're going to come and say. Like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? We don't need to be baptized. We we are the descendants of Abraham. The reason they're saying that is. The, the rule of that time was that if someone who wasn't born of Abraham wanted to join into their faith, they would go through a cleansing baptism. But they said, why are you baptizing the children of Abraham? Are you saying that we aren't children? Of, we are children of Abraham. And he says, don't even try that one. I could, I, God can raise up from these dead stones living children of Abraham. Side note, um, that's us. Right? I was a dead stone. It's only by the grace of God that I was brought into his kingdom. Right? Sorry. Um, the Gospels, you know them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, two of them talk about the birth of Jesus. That's Matthew and Luke. All four Gospels talk about the birth of John the Baptist. They're like, why are we talking about that? That's, that's why. I mean, if they start every gospel with talking about John the Baptist, why do you think they did that? Right? Remember the audience. They've been waiting for 400 years for these prophecies, and now here they are. Okay, let's look at these prophecies in light of this. All right. Mark 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear these things a lot. Because it's, now we're quoting again and again. Luke, I'm not going to read it, but the whole first chapter 
Seriously, you should read it. The entire first chapter is talking about John the Baptist. I mean, really quick retelling the story. Angel came to the father of John the Baptist. Zechariah said Elizabeth is going to have a child, basically like in another annunciation. Zechariah didn't quite buy it. He's like, are you sure? And at that doubt, he was struck mute. The angel said, okay, you're done talking. And he didn't talk again until John was born, people are there, they're asking uh, Elizabeth, his mother, like, hey, so what are you going to name him? Of course, there's only one right answer. It's going to be Zechariah. You've got to name him after his father or maybe some other relative. She says, his name will be John. And they went, no, what? You don't, there are no Johns in your family. Why are you naming him John? Let's check with Zechariah because obviously this woman is, yeah. So they write, like, hey, Zechariah, what's he called? Zechariah writes, not not he will be called John. His name is John. And then he can talk again. Great, like, oh, yeah, God says name him John. Done. There we go. Okay, how about that for a little testimony? Oh, also in the first chapter, right, Mary, remember her? Mother Jesus, right? Um, she had a visit with Elizabeth around the same time, right? They're both pregnant, and Elizabeth's belly... John, right, is kicking. And when they get close together, like, oh, John recognizes Jesus. I mean, so in a way, unborn John was the first one to recognize Jesus as the coming Messiah. Huh? Yeah, that's right. Babies are smart. Okay. John 1. How's it start, everyone? In unison? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. All right, good. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been, that has been made. In him was life, and that life was light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Again, so obviously John's presence was significant. It signaled something much greater. This was the renewing of that anticipation. Right? You know, your great-great-grandparents were talking about this coming Messiah. This is what they were talking about. So back to our, our earlier question, who was the greatest prophet? Some would say John the Baptist, all right? All right. Um, John knew what to do. He had committed himself to God from the beginning. He was continuing the same role. Here's what John said in response to the questions from the Pharisees and Sadducees, the ones who saying, what are you doing? Right? They came they're trying to figure this guy out. Um, they, they took the tasks of keeping the law very seriously to the point that they had turned them into traditions that separated from genuine conviction. They were no longer subject to repentance. They were winning. They figured it all out. Um, Hold on, there's another side note coming. We do that, right? All right, so what's with the context? This was not in the script. Just, Just entertain me for a moment. 500 years ago, start of the Reformation, Right? That's the reason why we are here the way we are. Right? At that point, it was considered to be heresy 
to think that there was authority in the Bible outside of the church, right? And said, no, 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 sola scriptura. The Bible is our authority. The only reason the church has authority is because of the Bible. It's not the other way around, right? So the idea that people developed from truth traditions that left truth, right? Do we ever do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our, well, now, now that we're reformed, you know, we're not part of the, the Catholic Church. We've got it all straight. Oh, hold on. No, watch it, right? All right. Semper reformandi, like always reforming, right? Okay. There. Aside, completed. All right. It wasn't too painful, right? All right. Um, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He's got a thing with sandals. <laughs> All right. Um, there, here comes this, another side note. So for the community group, we're studying Haggai at, at my, I don't know, urging, insistence. I don't know, like, let's do something. Like, Haggai. Okay. Um, this one includes a genealogy. It just, like, this seems like a fine place for an aside. Another prophecy in fulfillment. Haggai 2.23. On that day, declares, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. That probably meant nothing to any of you. In Luke chapter 3, 23 through 27, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son of as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Malchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagad, the son of Math, the son of Matathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel. I know you're waiting for that, Matthews, right? You didn't see that coming. There it was. There, it's Zerubbabel. They, they said it, even in Haggai. He's coming. Okay, sorry. Second side note. All right, so then we still have this question. The, the religious leaders are saying, are you Elijah? He says, no. Are you the Messiah? No. Then why are you doing this? And he quotes Isaiah. says, I am the one coming, and there's still one coming after me. Is he Elijah? All right. In Matthew... As John's disciples were leaving, this is in chapter 11, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Remember the, the intro question? There it goes, okay. Um, but this is a great next bit. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. 
Another quick side note, greatest to ever live, John the Baptist. That doesn't mean that's the end and no one can ever surpass that because then he says, but greater than he is the least in the kingdom of heaven. We'll get back to that. Just keep in mind that that could be you, right? You're, you're part of the kingdom of heaven. All right. Matthew 17, Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, and they did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. In John 3, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Take that as a thing to remember. Let God increase. Let the presence of Jesus in your life and in your words increase so that you decrease. Right? Again, it's my sincere prayer that these words stick with you and everything I say is going to be gone. Right? Mark 1 uh, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, that's right, spoiler alert, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So John, he spoke with conviction, determination, purpose, and largely without fear. He knew who he was answering to. He was speaking truth against the powers of the world, the powers of darkness that run this world, and doing so will bring opposition and difficulty. He followed God. He didn't trust in his own power or his own ideas of what needed to happen. He surrendered to God. This is what made him great. He knew he didn't have the answers, the control over his own life. Everyone know the, the great pastor Leonard Ravenhill? If not, he's one you should check out. Nice. It's good stuff. All right, so a quote from him. He's full of great, um, I don't know if we call them one-liners, but the greatest sin in the world is I can manage my life without God. That's the greatest sin. It was also the first lie, right? It's, it's the one that's been causing that cycle I talked about. It never stops, right? So if we can let go of this thought that I, I think I've got control over my life, I know what to do, I've got it figured out, then we can become the least in the kingdom of God. I totally surrendered to a kingdom. Right? Yeah. John was murdered after six months of ministry because he was calling out the wickedness he saw among those who were still claiming to be children of God. Are we acting more like John or more like the world? Now, we know the cycle continues. Who are we subject to? Do we develop traditions that make us palatable to those around us, 
You know, I don't want to ruffle feathers. Don't want to cause any ruckus, rock the boat, whatever euphemism. All right. We belong to another kingdom. We have no fear. We feel that waiting up until the first coming of Jesus. And we felt that 400 years, and now, ah, yes, something's coming. It wasn't the end, right? We have a new advent. We are in a time of advent now, a new waiting for an arrival of the second coming of our Messiah, when things actually end, when the cycle is, is put to rest, when death is dead, when sin is gone. Right? That's what we're waiting for. So we can have all of these pleasant feelings about, ah, oh, baby Jesus, yes. I am so thankful that Jesus came as a man. If, if that had not happened, we wouldn't have anything. Right? It was him living his life as a perfect example and sacrificing his life. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. That, that's everything. And now we are waiting. We are part of a kingdom that we know is real and established but we don't see all of it yet. I remember Paul, you're looking in a mirror darkly. That's what we're waiting for. Remember who you are. Remember the kingdom you belong to. That's our waiting. Matthew 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Be like John. Be what, what, what Jesus would consider great. Be surrendered to the kingdom of heaven. We have nothing to offer. It's only by the grace of God that we have anything. Right? It's not the end. And now, as is typical when talking about Advent and Christmas, we'll go to Revelation. <clears throat> Revelation twenty-two, twelve. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's right, we're somewhere between the beginning and the end. <laughs> All right, oh. I, <clears throat> I want us all to pray regularly the Maranatha. I pray it every day because there's so much about this world that I love. I love many people. I love so many things. But I long for this. I want to be a part of the kingdom now. Lord Jesus, come quickly. My anticipation is great. I'm not a robot, see? <laughs> John 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This is the reason we have joy in this new advent. It's because hope was introduced during the first advent. It's the same hope that, that, they, that started there that we still have. We're waiting for this ultimate return of Christ the one and true king. 
if you want to see this time as more than pleasant nostalgia, feel secure in this foundation upon which we stand. Have confidence to speak truth, to speak about repentance, to demonstrate repentance as we joyfully and eagerly await the second coming of our Savior. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. What do you think? Is the world dark? Yeah. Is there a light that shines on us? That we see things for what they are? We see ourselves for what we are? Yeah, so praise God, right? Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. What government are we talking about? God's government. Does this mean that, oh, everyone here is, is serving God? They, of course, everyone is under the subject uh, sovereignty of God. Does it mean that it's all for, for us? Is it all f directly for him? Oh, it'll all bring him praise, right? Remember Daniel, plenty of, plenty of rulers have been called servants of God, and they did not bring pleasant things. This is God's kingdom. This is his government. It will have no end. That's the one we're subject to. And then, I just can't leave Revelation alone. This is in Revelation 5. Remember a few weeks ago, um, Ernie was preaching on this. This, again, wasn't part of the notes, but it's coming up. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the, row, the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. And they sang, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And this is it. This is what we're waiting for. This is the fulfillment. We see all of these prophecies. If, you know me enough. If you ever say, like, oh, we're only living in the New Testament. This is all just talking about the Old Testament, right? The prophecies from the beginning are fulfilled, and nothing has changed. The kingdom of God was established, and it will never fall. We see John the Baptist as being a great fulfillment, a great prophet, making straight the ways for the Lord, calling people to repentance, baptizing. Right? We see ourselves as being of the kingdom of God. We are regarded. Right? We are seen. So while we wait, again, I'm not telling you how to feel, I'm, I'm expecting you to feel something, like an anticipation, maybe even a disillusionment with a lot of the things that are around us now. What we see now versus what we will see then. Right? That's what we're waiting for. That's how we'll, we'll dedicate our lives. Take John as an example. 
Speak truth. Speak repentance. Don't be afraid. Don't bow to to unhelpful traditions or people claiming to be authorities that are trying to make you act pleasantly, quietly. Say the truth. Jesus is Lord. We are sinners. We need a Savior. Anyone who doesn't see that isn't looking. Right? That's what we're waiting for. Don't be afraid. Will there be opposition? Yeah, right? Murdered after six months. Hopefully that's not you not saying, like, that's your goal, but, like, yeah, there's going to be opposition. People will come against you. But that's no reason to be afraid, right? What are they fighting for? A kingdom of darkness? The status quo? Same thing. No. You belong to a kingdom. We are in a second advent. Enjoy the things that we've celebrated up until this point. They'll be looking with great anticipation, hope, and longing for that still coming. I think that's the end. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that that we have this to stand upon, that we have your truths, that we can hold them dear, we can live with them. They redeem us, they clarify things for us, they remind us of your power, your authority, and our surrender. Lord, thank you for all that you've provided, all of the the meaningful traditions that we have, the times that we share. Lord, work in us. Bring this feeling of longing, this desire to see you again. Let it drive us in all of our actions, our thoughts, the way we live our lives, what we prioritize, who we speak to and what we say. And Lord, come quickly. Amen.